In light of coronavirus, people worldwide are insecure about what is going on in the world, and it's time for us to reconnect and learn how to connect. Everyone has their own way of dealing with this virus. In these uncertain times, we have different people deal with this matter in their own individual way, from meditating more, reading, and writing more, to using this time to reevaluate what the meaning of life is, and. Others who are turning more so towards their religious beliefs. How do we dissect the human behavior? Sometimes we make choices that are based on societal norms, and sometimes we make choices that seem peculiar or self-destructive. Everyone has a story, and they got to where they are with a number of factors that play a part. In today's episode, we have Natalie, who will be sharing her experience. Of following Christianity, faith, and how, after leaving the religion, it impacted her life. And we will also be touching on the similarities between Christianity and Islam.、Um, today, we are talking about the fundamentals of a couple of very similar religious beliefs, and both of these religions are the fastest growing. Uh, not just within the USA, but、um, across the world. So, with that said, I am going to introduce my、uh, guest today, Natalie. Please give a quick introduction, and we'll go straight into it. Hello, so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. I live in Salt Lake City.、Um, I was raised Mormon here, and got married young, and was super、um, lucky in that. Once that happened, which is very common within the culture, I、um, was able to travel with my husband overseas, live overseas for about ten years. We lived in Seoul, Taipei, Sydney, Melbourne, short stint in New Zealand, back to Sydney, and then got back to Salt Lake about five years ago. I'm a life coach. I'm a podcaster myself. I'm a mother. I have two kids, and yeah, just really, really interested in. Having conversations and、um, talking about themes that are resonant within loss for me that presented as loss of faith. What can I learn from that loss of marriage? And just really, I don't know, talking about what's、um, real in the inner world and experience that are just sometimes things that we don't talk about, but we. You know, are a big part of our life, and so I'm excited. I, I think we're going to have a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for、um, coming on the podcast and just talking about some of the experiences that you've had. So, what is Mormonism? I think that's more. A, there's, I think, over a hundred may、uh, splitoffs of Mormonism, and there's three main ones. The mainstream church that I think most people think of, or I, I guess maybe they blend them all together, which is kind of part of the confusion. There, then there's the fundamentalist Mormons, and those are the ones that still practice polygamy, and they they have kind of a God, I don't, need, I mean, they don't really have anything to do with me, so I feel bad, kind of commenting, <laughs> you know, commenting on them, but that there is a lot of sort of. Like I said, blending or overlap within what is actually three distinct. The other third one is、um, the reorganized church. I think they rebranded themselves as something different, but they were Joseph Smith, the founders' original kids. So it was kind of like 
passed from father to son kind of thing, which at a certain point, I think they ran out of lineage and have gone off on a totally different thing, but that's who they were. So the mainstream Mormons that I came from, you can watch TV, but no, you can't drink coffee. And caffeinated drinks was a little bit of a taboo, but they just came out, I don't know, maybe been years since I've left, but I think it's been within the last few years that they said you could drink like Coca-Cola or, you know, that was really taboo for a long time, but now you can. It is, uh, you know, under the umbrella of Christianity. I think you just, it's called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is a mouthful. (laughs) But, um, and I think they just themselves, even though they've gone by Mormons, like just short Mormons, I think they're now saying that's a derogatory term, but I don't really understand why it's too, it's too, you know, it's too long, too late now. Like, why are we, over, you know, recorrecting? But it's an interesting religion. They do believe in Jesus, but Christianity itself doesn't accept Mormons as Christian. And I never understood that when I was in the church, but I think it has to do with this added temple ritual. If you see those temples with the golden statues on the top with the trumpets, that's a Mormon temple. And I think it's the um, the practices that go on within that that are against what Christians believe is just the atonement is what people. And then this is some kind of added thing and they don't like that. So like I said, Christianity doesn't really even accept Mormons into their umbrella of Christianity. But Mormonism itself is a restorationist religion. It was founded in 1830 in upstate New York by a kind of interesting, (laughs) funky guy, Joseph Smith. And I mean, as I said to you, there could be a whole series, a whole, not just podcast episode on what it is and what they believe. And I totally get why there's so much interest. Book Mormon, the musical, they were calling it the Mormon moment when Mitt Romney ran for president here. It is a super, super interesting religion. Um, wherever you fall, whether you're a believer or you just have a fascination with it. But what a restorationist religion means is that it's a religion that claims that there was truth on the earth, the Bible might be true, or certain things that might be historical uh, or themes within other religions might be true, but that at a certain point, God took the truth off the earth and now he is restoring it back. So um, they believe, you know, there's a lot of truth claims to what they believe and um I don't know. That, that's just the one thing I like where you brought it in of, of what aligns us and what's similar. And I see a lot of similar themes across religion, but it's when these religions come in and then say they're the only one. I don't think when you're in it, you understand how divisive it is. And that's more what I see now, especially across families, my own personal family, my personal friends. It creates a very now I believe one thing and you believe one thing and that divides us. And it's really sad actually. So yeah, yeah that's, I, 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 I encourage people to go in and, and study it and maybe pick a certain topic. There's a few books. John Krakauer has written a book uh, called under the banner of heaven, which sort of gives 
some of these books do a really good job intertwining the themes of Mormonism and some of the history and the religion and the key players with a story under the banner of heaven is a book about these two brothers that took it to such an extreme level that they took it to murder. <laughs> so, I mean, something like that is going to definitely keep you infotained, I guess. But yeah, there's there's a lot of places you could start if, if people are interested on more of the specifics. But yeah, that's that's the basics. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, when we were thinking about recording this episode, from my perspective, I feel very passionate about people having their own personal beliefs and religions in general share one fundamental foundation, which is that you know, to be a good person and to be, to you know, kind to the ones that are around us. And so, you know, religion is also a very powerful tool used by kind of uh, many in power to divide us, spread hate, fight against each other. And it's all under the kind of umbrella of religion or tribes or, you know, what it, it's exactly to your point. It's kind of separating us. Whereas one thing that I find quite common in religions, um, whether that be Christianity, Islam, Judaism, even atheists, is that you have to learn to be a human first before you can go into practicing a specific religion. And nearly all religions have similar belief systems, which is, you know, the fundamental rule of being good to each other, that there is, you know, uh, one belief system. And, you know, with the, the coronavirus kind of going on, there's so many things roaming around. And so some people have resulted into... um kind of going into the religious side and so if we look at like the islamic side um you know some of the things that were shared by the prophet muhammad um is circulating around um where he quoted um he's not a believer whose stomach is filled whilst the neighbor on his side goes hungry um the long and short of it is you know, learn to kind of connect and reconnect with individuals around without it being around, you know, I'm a Muslim and you're a Christian and therefore we can't, you know, sit and eat together or help one another. And then there was another one that I thought was very interesting, again, uh, circulating around social media, but also um, something that was quoted by the Prophet uh, Muhammad, that if you hear um, an outbreak of a plague in a land, uh, do not enter. And if the plague breaks out in a place whilst you're in it do not leave that place so it's really a, a big part of islam is cleansing this and you can't really pray without kind of you know cleaning yourself whether that's once or twice or five times a day um and now there's a lot of focus around oh you know this religion has always had it right we've always had focus on cleansing this whereas other religions may have not put that much emphasis on it whereas my perspective is let's all try and reconnect whether that is within a religious belief or outside of it um, and if there is certain belief systems that you've grown up with whether that is cleansingness or you know something that a prophet said a long time ago use that as a form of best practice and then use that and, and spread the word rather than it being very focused around this is what they said in islam a long time ago told you it, i'm just trying to remove the conversation from a bigger picture and say yes he was a leader and he had best practices but similar to the religion or the belief system you came from um, I'm sure there's a number of practices that were shared that can be very relevant today but really today what I wanted to focus on was for you to share some of the experiences that controlled maybe some of the choices or decisions um, that you had to make and how it impacted you really 
Yeah, and that's definitely um, where I live today in, in talking about it. <laughs> you know, I'm not an expert on Mormonism. I was born into it. I was in it for almost 30 years. I left when I was 29. But, um, you know, there are definitely historians and and foremost, you know, world experts on it within and outside of the faith. But to me, yes, it's much more about my personal lived experience because I'm not here to say anything about anybody else's culture or faith or tribe. It's just about what I lived and and the lessons that I took from leaving the religion of my birth, which is an interesting experience. And it's still somewhat uncomfortable to talk about, even though I find it really important to talk about. But my family is all still in the it impacts my real life and you know where I'd like to live so how did leaving your um religion impact you especially when your family members still believe in the same um belief system and kind of what were the dynamics yeah I think that's really hard um people might experience that differently. I've seen people different, you know, experience it differently. For me, I think I was raised in a culture as both a woman um, within the religion, within my culture in America, Utah, I don't know, I think it was sort of the perfect storm of how women are raised um, and how I was raised to sort of be responsible for other people's feelings and experiences, which is something I'm waking up to how much harder that made it for me 10 years later, because at the time I just could not navigate how to be this one different person. My husband didn't leave with me. None of my siblings left with me. So I was alone and different. And I was lucky in that, as I said, I I had been from Utah and there's a lot of people who it's such a tight knit community where I was raised was like 95% of people were Mormon, but luckily I was going through mine in Australia. So in so many ways, the the silver lining in that moment was that, that my community was not Mormon and actually didn't really even know anything about Mormonism. So a lot of them were just so welcoming and, and loved hearing the stories of, of what I was going through. And so that was a really nice thing, but to go on, you know, all these years between different friends, different people I grew up with, it was, and still is very difficult because the religion, and I don't, you cannot see this when you're in it. You just feel convinced of your rightness and the truth of what you're believing that it doesn't, you're not like overtly like you're wrong, but you just kind of are to the people who don't believe like, well, duh, you're wrong. And so you can't see that that's being done to you. You can't see that you're perpetuating it. You can only see it after you've left. So that's a really, really difficult, hard thing to navigate. Like how do we have a loving, close relationship, you know, with someone who now, is making choices we don't approve of, is making choices that confuse us. I mean, if you can't drink, if Coca-Cola is taboo, you can't drink coffee, you can't drink tea, you can't even wear tank tops, you know, these are very normal things that 
everybody is doing and to just sort of join society and be doing those things while your family is not. I mean, there's a lot of themes, right? I think um, we were chatting in one of our conversations about how you sort of see this everywhere. You see it in every way a culture will ask you to abandon yourself or betray yourself for approval. You will see it in a family structure. Dad wants the son to be a doctor. The Islamic family wants the daughter and son to to marry within the faith. And that might not be what's messaging that's coming from their internal source and their internal compass. And one, you know, dig, I will wholeheartedly give it religion is that part of what makes it so compelling and makes it so easy to believe them is because they've handed you your beliefs and they've told you that that internal source is scary, bad, or evil and to just trust them. So even the fact that you're trusting your own guidance system and and the messaging that's coming from yourself is scary to the people around you. And that's divisive. I mean, on every level, it's, it's, you know, how does it, how is it different within Mormonism than any of those? I don't think it is. I think it's all the same. It's all the same for how, when someone is born into a culture, a structure, a religion, a belief system, that so long as we all believe and we all keep going, things are great. But when one doesn't, that disrupts the system. And, you know, it's, it's, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I will say the benefits for, I mean, I can't even tell you how magical that was to be able to drink a cup of coffee, to just think, you know, hold it in my hands and just go, I can choose what beverages I drink. I can choose how short my shorts are. I can wear a tank top. I can feel the sun on my shoulders. Like that's, you know, that's amazing. And so it's such a, I guess I would say polarity uh, or duality of these like extremes, these extreme consequences, these extreme negatives, the, the navigating of the relationships was brutal and difficult but then there was all of these ways in which just normal life had not been available to me and so I was experiencing it for the first time and in that way I don't don't think regular people sit with a cup of coffee just so grateful that they can drink it and, and that they're able to choose their own drinks that was amazing and it still is yeah and so. I think it's so interesting that you share that because you know to your point we're handed our beliefs and there's nothing wrong with following religion or f- any you know type I mean I personally follow Islam and I was very much born in the religion but I think it is important to understand um, you know the belief system that you have been handed you know, at what point are you going to go and do your own homework and understand the reasoning behind what you're believing is actually right for you uh, in comparison to say, you know, uh, what we see a lot in, you know, very strict religions is um, leading from fear, leading from a point where you're going to go to hellfire if you don't pray, as opposed to it coming from a place where, 
you know, um, that people can feel uh, peace and, you know, love each other without associating that to a specific religion. And so I feel very grateful that I live in London. It's a very diverse city. And so you meet people from all walks of life in comparison to maybe, say, other parts of the world where you don't have that freedom of choice because everyone follows a specific belief system and like you said it's disruptive when one person decides to either question or leave or um, at least try and discover what's the right thing for them to follow um, and I feel that the restriction part is extremely important to recognize in different religions cultures at what point do you leave um, an individual a child to be themselves and to be accepted for who they truly are as well as giving them best practices on how to live a life as a good human being before anything else and then of course incorporate what is good for them and then allow them to choose um, you know what belief system they want to follow um, and nine times out of ten I feel that people are a lot more authentic and a lot more um, you know down to earth and then they spread that love and you know authenticness all around them as opposed to it being very much you know uh, from a judgmental place because somebody you know wears certain clothes like you said or has a certain drink and then therefore you're almost kind of uh, coming from a place of shame and then they're being told where and how they should live um, yeah the shame too like the part of it that I think is again you don't see when you're in it is this you are giving you are giving them this hey here's these beliefs and do you believe them but there the question isn't really honest and you don't see that when you're in it the question is here they are and do you believe them and what we're really measuring is like how much you will conform to that and so the shame comes from the non-conformity <laughs> and it's to me I think it just holds us back because then I've, I mean, the, the amount of years that I've had to spend just reconciling that shame when I could have been, you know, soaring over here in something that mattered more than processing the shame of not believing what was handed to me, that was never handed to me to honestly assess it if it was true the the premise was that it was there was no honesty for it's all there's a name for it that's like a logical fallacy where the whole point of it is that you know the question isn't honest it leads you around the circle to yes it is yes it is the truth there's no room for who you really are there's no room for what you really believe or what really resonates with you. It's all that it comes back to that you believe as we believe. And it's just so silly to do that to people and to do that, you know, across wide. It's not just Mormonism. It's, it's a lot of them, if not all of them in so many ways. I know there's ones that are more open-minded and I'm really interested if I were to ever go back to religion in a religion that sh shows us who it's who it is and what its values are by who is in its leadership. Is it diverse? Are are people who accepted for who they are, or are we stuck in dogma of this is the only way? There's only one way because I just I find that it asks us to put people in boxes. It asks asks us 
for people to be robots. And that's not who we are as a humanity and as a species. We are colorful and varied and nuanced and complex. And what this wants us to do is deduce us down into something simple and calculatable. Calculatable? I don't think that's the word. (laughs) Calculable? (laughs) You know what I mean? And so that we are you know, so we make each other comfortable by performing our little head pats and, you know, circles on our tummy, you know, and it's, it's catastrophic to that authenticity that is us, you know, playing in symphony with each other. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, um, it'd be really interesting to just learn a little bit kind of what shifted your mindset uh, from moving away from this religion and um, what were kind of the um, not necessarily restrictions because I guess you've experienced a lot of that but kind of the impacts of those restrictions such as you know um, marrying within the faith Um, if you could just you know explore around that Totally. Oh, yeah. It's so interesting. I always make a joke that I got married, you know, with I still had baby fat, which I did. (laughs) And my brain wasn't fully formed. Um, I get a lot of questions about like, was my marriage arranged and this? It is kind of a funny thing to joke about. Not that that's funny, Um, a funny topic and marriages aren't arranged. But there's this movie that we watched when we were kids. Oh, my God. The church has changed a lot, but I'm almost 40. And so there was these crazy, there was this one where we watch a movie. We watched it over and over and over again. It's called Johnny Lingo, where there's this, it takes place in a village. And it's about the their marriage traditions and I don't know why we watched this as Mormons or why it was produced by the church about these island people (laughs) but it was about how this girl and she's really ugly and nobody's gonna buy her for like the cows (laughs) like your dowry of eight cows in the village and eight cows would have been a lot and you know there's a lot of teasing that she was a two cow wife and Johnny Lingo comes along and buys her for eight cows. And then all of a sudden she's beautiful. And I mean, the misogyny, the patriarchy, the just horrendous themes within this movie are, 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 I think, just intrinsically tied to people my age within this culture and what it meant to be a woman, have your own life, Mary, I mean, here it is, like, she was nothing until this man came and bought her for eight cows, right? You know, so I joke a lot about that, about, like, was it arranged or how many cows was I sold for? (laughs) (laughs) Which is, I mean, humor, you got to kind of slay with humor on this stuff, right? But um, it feels a little like that because I look back, I was married for 10 years And there's a lot I could say that's really positive and great about my marriage. It produced two children. He was my college sweetheart. We grew up together. We traveled the world together. I was so lucky in so many ways. And I think being born into a religion like this, um, my destiny was probably always to conform to it at the time that it mattered. I've seen people leave at 16 or 18 before they made every major life decision, but that just wasn't what I was going to do. I was absolutely at that time wholly bought into 
the um, the status and the optics of doing everything the right way. When I got engaged, you know, my sister asked my mom to who, like, who is she marrying? And that's kind of typical. There are stories, you know, I'll go over even now to my sister's house and all the wedding invitations she's got on the fridge. A couple of years ago, she had one where the groom was in braces, you know, because it's like one, they get married young, two, they get married quick engaged quick and married quick meeting and engaged within six weeks and married within another six weeks. So you met this person 12 weeks ago and you're married, you know, mine wasn't that quick, but I mean, that just tells you culturally that can happen. People have, you know, you want the optics of getting married. If you've messed up as in to say, and, and had sex or aren't worthy to get married in the temple, that's very visible you're wearing your sins on your wedding invitation, I guess to say. So, um, yeah, I just, I personally wasn't going to do that and got married young and, um, you know, I look back and it's interesting, right? You know, being this age, I'm single now, you're on the dating scene. What can I juxtaposition with someone who had the freedom to have sex before marriage and maybe get married at 27, but they're divorced like me too. You know, I don't, I can't make sense of it all. I would say have conversations like this with a lot of people and ask them what their attitudes were from their parents about sex before marriage or what marriage was or how old you should be. You know, I think for a lot of us, it, 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 the dream that we're sold full stop culturally. And, you know, I, I don't know. I I don't, I'm still trying to process it all because the story I married the wrong person. And I don't mean by that, you know, by, I don't mean by that what it maybe sounds on its face because I actually have no regrets. I would have married any anyone I met at that age and probably ended up divorced. So I'm glad I ended up with the one that I did. But um, in looking back, how I, I would, I'm horrified at the thought of my daughter being raised like that or my son being raised like that with those narratives. They were toxic and caustic to me and made, you know, it, it was a lot of shame baggage to carry the the not having sex before marriage and how well you're doing with that if you make it to the temple worthily if you don't but go in anyway you know these are these are harmful not just to myself but other people but you know happily divorced now i i left the religion to answer your other question after i'd been married for 8 years and i was 29 and my daughter was 5 my son was 3 um uh, my husband went to work. I woke up Mormon. I had a chance phone call with the stranger for three hours and left the church instantly. I, I don't hear a lot of stories like this. <laughs> I have no regrets, but it was a little bit like a bull in a china closet because most people kind of take, get some information, start to simmer with it, sit with it, you know, Give, give it eight months, give it three months, give it a year. You know, for me, it just like this information, it's very detailed information. It, it, it has to do with, to me, it was like, it, 
I got the information. It was like, where there's smoke, there's fire. And what I mean by that is Joseph in the truth claims, the, the original guy, Joseph Smith, if he found these golden plates in the hill, if he made this Book of Mormon from ancient writings, then that should corroborate if he found others. And what this information was, was that this other book that is running, you know, alongside the Book of Mormon, which also was said to be translated, we now have what it was translated from, where we don't have the golden plates. And we can see that what he translated as this book of Abraham is actually common funeral documents. So it was not what he said it was. And for me, it was like, okay, you don't lie about one and you're truthful about one. We can never prove because he said, uh, who knows where the hell the golden plates are. Again, this if this is confusing, it's one of those things where it's so detailed, this would take me two hours to explain. But to me, it was like demons out where there's smoke, there's fire. This information of what this person is telling me actually makes every lived experience I've experienced make so much more sense than trying to keep duct tape taping my psyche together that Mormonism is true. When I don't feel it, I don't see it. It isn't making me happy. Um, over here, she presents this idea running counter to that, that it's made up, that it, here's proof, you know? And it just, it was, it was like the whole thing just shattered and I couldn't put it back together. And I couldn't, I got off that phone call. I emailed a friend who had left four years before. I said, I understand now what you experienced. It looked so extreme at the time four years ago when you said, I'm leaving the church, I'm removing my name, like, holy shit. Now I go, I understand it just happened to me too. I, I need you to know what has just happened so that I don't get scared and turn back and go against what I know is now true. And luckily for me, I didn't need to do that. Once I admitted it to myself, admitted it to my husband, I told my family two days later, that was the worst moment of my life. <laughs> they did not totally take it well for which they have apologized now. And, you know, we've really done a lot of hard work on our relationship, but yeah, that's, that's the story of, of that moment. Um, it feels like the ending, but obviously it was just the beginning Absolutely. of a really amazing, difficult, beautiful journey to myself. And what I believe. And what's interesting is something that you said, which was the truth, because you go around in a circle and then regardless of what information you find, this is the truth and this is the end. And so I think what's interesting about other aspects of religions is, I mean, I'm going to speak from an Islamic point of view, mainly because I've grown up with it. And, you know, I'm lucky, like I said before, that I live in London and I have people who are genuinely interested in religion and so are spreading the right word, for example. There's a lot of stigma around um, the rights that women have within this religion, which, um, you know, I've grown up with very different belief system to the actual reality. And so the religion sometimes doesn't say the things that culture says. And so it's there's a huge kind of uh, mix up between the two. Um, you know, in Islam, like women can seek property or education or pursue a divorce or inherit family titles. Um, and 
this was way before kind of it was fashionable to say that women have rights um, and this is within the Islamic religion itself so but we are never taught that when you're growing up and so you know in um, just to kind of share this um, uh, you know the prophet's first wife um, actually proposed to him funnily enough and she was a businesswoman and she was older than him and she spent her wealth kind of really inviting people to justice and peace and she was the one that proposed to the prophet to say I want to marry you whereas the stories that we hear within our culture is that a lot of stigma around marrying an older woman there's a lot of stigma around who proposes who like you mentioned around the arranged marriage the six-week gap the the taboo around love marriages are bad for you whereas in the very religion if you really want to kind of take off certain lens and look at it from the other perspective there is a, a kind of the other side to every story and so for me you know, even if I was to step away from the religion, it was interesting for me to go in and say, actually, that's the story that I want to be telling people because I do respect religion. I genuinely do. I just don't like the opposing um, definitive ways that people like to create culture and mix it all up together and have their own agenda under the tag. You know, this is what our culture has always done. You're being very rebellious. And it's like, well, if it's culture I'm following, then that's fine. What's that got to do with religion? If it's religion I'm following, then that means I can marry anybody as long as they're within the religion, but they can be black, white, Asian, Chinese, who cares? Um, so it's very different um, when you kind of step away from religion and look at it from different perspectives. So very interesting that you shared that. I guess it I think Mormonism struggles with that, but you cannot, again, cannot, will not, don't want to see that either, that this is a religion and a culture problem. I think you said that really, really beautiful, beautifully, because, you know, I'm, I'm much more aligned with spirituality than finding my culture within religion, but the two are so wholly intertwined in at least Mormonism, and I would suspect Islam as well, and, and other religions you you do you have the tenets you have the ideals you have the you know texts and then you have what the culture does with it and i think even people within the faith of mormonism recognize that a lot and just go oh man is imperfect and this is the culture but it's like the culture kind of takes on in some of these religions like a freight train it takes off on its own because it just becomes this totem pole for who's living it and how are they living it right? And are they living it right? And who's the most righteous and who's the most faithful? And that's where you start to see such dogmatic attitudes of, you know, obedience, which is, you know, a lot of these themes of where the culture take it fly in the face of, of true spirituality, because it really does become a house of culture, not God or source or universe or spirit, whatever term you would want to use or, or, or I would want to use is, is appropriate. But yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. And I think acknowledging that it happens is important because the not talking about it is what fuels it even more. You know, what's coming up for me whilst I hear you kind of share your story is you know, there's people that would, you know, pray, go to the church, mosque, temples, and 
think that they're closer to God or spirituality. However, they do not practice being a good human being, stop backbiting, stop controlling your children's lives and allow them to explore and live and support them through that journey, whether that is as sometimes they may not want to pray, sometimes they will, but let support them, hold their hand through that and allow them to have respect for themselves for a religion or a culture or spirituality whatever that might mean and the frustrating thing for me is watching people think that they are better muslims than others or better christians than others because they don't do certain things that others are doing such as you know wearing certain clothes or maybe they drink or oh, you're so bad or maybe they smoke regardless of what life choices they've made but that journey is extremely individual and extremely important in my opinion um, and that judgment that no religion I believe uh, imposes on anyone somehow culture has embedded in all of us to say now you're a bad Christian you're a bad Muslim and I guess my next question to you is what was the reaction of the village when you did decide to leave the religion and how did they react to you? And it, yeah, and it's not even just one moment. It's still ongoing. I think I could have like just gone off, ridden my horse off into the sunset and maybe being a private person with my own private thoughts, that would have been one experience. And I did that, you know, for the majority of the last 10 years, but I have known for a number of years that I would be doing my podcast, that I would be speaking about this publicly on places like your podcast, so that I would write books because I just found so much allegory in this story of trying, trying, trying to be in my power more and more and more of myself when my tribe wants me to be in my box and in my cage. So um, yeah, immediate reactions to family, like I said, it was um, pretty horrific for my immediate family. It's nothing, it's, it's getting better now, even 10 years later, because so many people are leaving in the age of information with the internet. It's hard for a religion that has true claims that they are locked to, tied to, they have made these claims. And the, the proof of those claims is incumbent upon them and they cannot do it. And in fact, the information is on Google right now that like is demonstrates, you know, unequivocally, these claims cannot be true. So that's ushering in an exodus of um, people. But at the same time, religion and culture and being born into a tribe and being part of a tribe like that is very group think very you know there's sort of no mental door out you're sitting there in a cage and the door is open but you don't see it you know so there's still a lot of people who stay as well obviously but um at that time 10 years ago it was probably the start of of this exodus that we've seen now and so i don't think my family had gone through something like that they I don't think a lot of us had had friends leave. Certainly nobody within the family had left. I don't think a lot of uh, people who were my friends at the time, like my college roommates or um, people I had been close to through my 20s. I don't I don't know how, what experience they had with someone going, I'm different. And this is the problem with it too. It's not just that I said, hey, this is who I am now and I'm different. Because of those truth claims, somebody's wrong. 
And so my exit is telling them that that person is them. And their belief in the church is telling me that that person is me. And that is really hard on relationships. I had a lot of people um, really prove to be disingenuous over the years, which has been really sad coming in, arriving on the scene in my mind, like, hey, we can still be friends. We can still connect on the things we connect on and to have an open, authentic You know, I'm not here. I get very cagey on the surface. I'm not here for fluff. So people who are in my life, they know what I'm up to. They know who I am. We have deep conversations. So I'm just assuming that's the kind of relationships I have and that's what it's going to be like. So people arrive on, I get like that and I get real. And I had a lot of people. It's weird. I didn't really understand it at the time. Like people will get close to you to talk and talk to you to talk about you or this kind of stuff. Like I did not, I, that is not who I am. I have never done my friendships like that. So I didn't really understand a lot of that, what was happening, that it was just an oddity that was making people curious. So it wasn't about friendship. It wasn't about connecting. It wasn't about who are you now and what is your life like now? It is like, I don't know. It it was something very weird. And so I, some people have a lot of, you know, interfaith, ex-Mormon, Mormon friendships. Um, I know people like that. There are a few people who have been extremely welcoming and genuine, but there are just not that many I'm able to have a relationship with now. And that was hard. That's a, I only say this to say, hey, if you're friends with your childhood friends, that's a gift. Not everybody has that. If you're friends from your friends, or if you're friends with people that you knew in your you know, after high school or in high school or college years or early 20s or in these really important, interesting parts of life where you shared a lot. That's a gift because I don't. When people are talking about that, there are a handful of people that I'm close with. But for the most part, because of the high concentration of all of those people, you know, had I maybe gone to high school in L.A. or somewhere else where I would have been an anomaly whoa, my life would be great. I'm sure all these people were like, welcome to the club. <laughs> We've been waiting for you. But that wasn't the case. I, I went to very Mormon high school and university. And so I, I don't personally seek out maintaining those relationships unless someone has really been able to prove that they are genuine. That's so interesting, though, what you've just shared, honestly. I mean, you're so right. I think... We do take for granted um, some of the smaller blessings that we have that are actually not so small. And I think with the virus going on, um, it's time for people to, you know, connect and reconnect. And that's what I meant, because it is a blessing to have the friends that you had from school. It's nice that somebody has been a part of your journey and has evolved with you. And that leads me to my next question, which is, if, say, somebody is in similar kind of thoughts as you were, say, 10 years ago, um, how should one start almost their soul-searching journey? Any advice? Hmm. There's no right or wrong way. You know, I, I was on a forum that I found really helpful at the time. There's all kinds of um, postmormon.org and, and forums where people can go. I would say get into those groups and get some support and get some knowledge and 
get some advice on how people have navigated that? Did people wait months and really think through it and write a letter? Did they, you know, I left and called my family two days later. I was shell-shocked. I did not have the skills to process like what that was going to be. And had I gone to those forums and got that advice on how is this best to approach within my family or my spouse or the people who are going to remain in the faith and what does this mean for us? There, there is support in that way. And that's not just Mormons. There's a lot of crossover for like Jehovah's witnesses on those forums and the same kind of um, people who would be dealing with ostracization, you know, possible ostracization and possible, you know, abandonment. And that's the thing. I mean, it really elicits a lot of primal fears about, scarcity, lack, abandonment, you know, so just be gentle with yourself that some of this is actually primal. Some of this is, um, you know, how your own psychology mixes with what you've been given. And so to just really, really, um, you know, I, I wish there was a podcast that my mom sent me where um, somebody, a family went through therapy to get some healing. If your family's open to it, and that's my, maybe something I would want to do in the future with my family. I'm thinking of even like pitching a podcast where I go through Mormonism and some themes and then bring in the way that the family element works and actually go as a family to therapy. There was a podcast where they described that. And if that, that's the thing, like just start thinking outside of the box. I think for us, we just took it one day at a time and didn't really think too hard about what we should do or what resources were available to us. And that's the thing, I think, open your mind to what help is available to you and what resources are available to you that you don't need to just go off on your own and on this riding roughshod with your family. <laughs> that's that's it's a regret for all of us i mean it it was part of our journey and i guess we need to honor it but it's 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 conversations i've had in the last year with my parents and some members of our my family them apologizing to me me apologizing to them saying i they didn't really see it for what it was at the time your family is going to be so absorbed in what this means for them and how hurt they are that they're not. And then that's making you a perpetrator, right? So they're not going to understand. This is what my family has said this year. We didn't understand your hurt. We didn't even think about it. We didn't even think about what this was like for you. And you're going to know that they're doing that. And it's this really weird moment about it's about you and it's about your life, but you will be so absent in it because it will be completely about their grief. And it doesn't need to be that way. So how can you take control of the ship so that you're in command of the narrative a little bit better and in command of this looking the way you want it to look? But that's also, you know, individual families. Some are more extreme than others, as in all religions. So it depends on which kind of family you come from, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, thank you so much for sharing that. And there are certain parts of both religions um, that I actually really appreciate, um, which we grew up with. I mean, we, um, 
uh, fast during the month of Ramadan and you know this is there's a percentage of our income that has to be donated to a charity um, and I know that Mormon belief um, is a little bit similar um, yeah tithing I, and fasting yes mm -hmm. exactly um, it's just unfortunate where um, when those concepts are taken advantage of almost because it's a part of a religion rather than um, sharing best practices which is the whole point of fasting is to appreciate what others are going through but more importantly when you're giving charity it's not necessarily for that specific church or mosque it's actually more so for the people that are in need uh, for water food clothing homes and, and then everything else but um uh, I guess we've come to the end um, of this uh, podcast and before you know um, I you know say all my thank yous um, please can you share kind of what your podcast is called where can we find it and what is it about sure yeah absolutely it definitely dovetails with what we're talking about about um, finding the golden treasures within your rock bottoms and your lowest moments. It's called your spin out is gorgeous to me. What is spin out is like, you know, you're low key spinning out like, Ooh, maybe it's a loss of job. Maybe it's a loss of marriage. Maybe it's a loss of faith or a potential one, right? You're unhappy in your job and you're at that precipice of like, where do I go? What do I do? What would I even look like? Who would I be without this thing that I'm clinging to that I know isn't serving me, but I'm clinging to it anyway. So it kind of honors and speaks to that moment as if it's real, which it is, but there's so much about our life that we want to invalidate it or make it, you know, cut it off from ourselves or our journey or our experience and only honor our, you know, highest pinnacles of achievement or our shiniest, most brilliant traits the podcast is about whole self integration because when a lot of times people are talking about their story and their hero's journey and where they went, it's all about where they arrived to, right? I wrote the book, I started the business, but it's like there was always a catalyst and it was a rock bottom and you just totally glossed over it. Like it was nothing and it meant nothing. And I want to mine that. I want to explore it. I want to talk about what it was about, how it arrived, what you were saying what your behavior was like, how you've processed it and, and made sense of it. So um, obviously my, it's called apostasy. I think it's such a terrible word. Apostasy from the Mormon church obviously has totally informed my life and how I view, you know, cultures of control and thing, the things that people tell us that we re need to reassess the unlearning process, right? Which is such a vital valuable um, experience of our humanity. So it's a lot of exploring those things um, and how they, how we can make them serve us. And obviously we, we connect on in those moments. Those moments are what connect us um, through our shared humanity. So yeah, it's, it's on pretty much every major platform, Apple podcasts, all the rest, Google, yeah, my website as well is Natalie Q. You can connect with me on Instagram. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. And um, I'll leave everything um, 
you know, in the description. But um, I really just wanted to, first of all, thank you so much for not only coming on to the podcast and sharing your experience, but for the work that you're doing. Thank you. Uh, thank you so I'm much. excited to see for me, for you, for everyone, you know, I honor that this is such a funky time with this virus. It's scary. It's precarious. It's uncertain. The other day, um, we we had had a 5.7 magnitude earthquake as well when yes. we connected last oh. week. And um, I got off our call. I had just woken up, did our call, went back to bed for three hours. You know, I honor that like this is jarring in our bodies, but I also honor that anytime there's something so unforeseen or that we have to pivot and it asks us to go deeper within ourselves magic happens and that that this is happening not just on an individual level of like what happened to me and my apostasy and what a pivot that was but that you know it's happening as a collective there's always some kind of wow the universe brought me some synchronistic other path that I hadn't seen for myself and I promise that is going to happen for our listeners for you for me and I, I, even even today, I should mention this, I'm going to start a channel. I just recorded the first episode. I've been thinking about this for a long time of affirmations and meditations. So I'm going to, it'll just be different thing, you know, a five minute morning meditation or an I am meditation or gratitude. I, I listen to those every night when I fall asleep with like sleep headphones or I wake up and I just listen, you know, start my day with a five minute one. And so it's something I've been thinking about for years. And it really is this virus that was like, you know what, dog, damn it. You need to go do it right now. Like you can't, don't put that off more years or have it be this idea or be percolating. It's, it's actually those things that are inciting the action because it's calling us to do that. It's begging us. It's unavoidable now that we have to, you know, give something give more find a way pivot so it's exciting I'm excited well, I'm scared amazing. but excited <laughs> no, congratulations this is going to be great and I think we need more of that and for whoever you know is listening it's really about um, connecting with your true authentic self whether you find out through a prayer mat whether you find out through connecting with family or friends whether that's affirmations meditating whatever that might be just respect what you're feeling and actually address it and I think there's no better time to address anything that's going on for us than now really and yeah I'm glad that we connected and I'm glad that you know you were able to share this because um, it's something I'm very passionate about, but generally I'm more interested in spreading the right word and allowing people to just be themselves and be okay with it and to be accepted. And yeah, I, I can go on for another hour saying this, but <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I thought it would be, if there was one thing I could leave it on, it's that too. It's like the, if you go through an event like this and however it is, if it's a job, if it's a faith, if it's whatever, the loss, the, the more you have, you find that authenticity and make peace with it yourself and accept yourself with this change, the quicker it's going to be not only accepted, but applauded by the people who are going to be continuing on with you in your life. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I look forward to connecting with you sometime soon. Thank you for having me. 